Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the show, we are talking with Mike McCabe, who is the head ski builder and CEO and owner of Folsom Custom Skis. And turns out there is a whole lot going on with Folsom for this upcoming season, and Mike and I cover most of it. So among the things we talk about, well, Mike clarifies for us the various families within the different Folsom shapes and models. We also talk about a couple of new, very interesting models in the Folsom offerings, We are talking about a new construction that Folsom is now using and has been testing for several years now. And we talk about a new junior skis trade-in program that I think is really, really cool and really interesting. And I am looking forward to see Folsom growing that particular program. Now, we also talk a bit about parenthood and Blister Labs and the Blister Summit, and a number of other things, because that's how we tend to do things around here. Now, just before we get started, we should say that our 22-23 Blister Winter Buyer's Guide is officially out. It has been very fun seeing all the photos from around the world from people who have received the print copy of the guide. And if you would like to join the ranks of those who have the print copy or the digital edition of the guide, we will include a link in the show notes to this episode. And if you want the print guide, you should probably hurry up and get your order in because as I have said and predicted, I think we are going to probably be running out of those guides sooner than later. We always do a limited edition run of the print guide, and so get them while you can. And just one other related note, if you become a Blister member, you will automatically be granted access to the digital edition of this guide and the digital edition of all past Blister Winter Buyers Guides. And a Blister membership includes a print copy of the guide, again, while supplies last, as people like to say. So become a Blister member, you get the guide, you get a bunch of discounts on gear, including a nice discount on Folsom Custom Skis. So yeah, basically, just hurry up and become a Blister member now for those of you who haven't already made that wise decision. Okay. And with that, let's go ahead and talk with Mike McCabe of Folsom Custom Skis. Here we go. Mike McCabe, how are you today and where are you today? Uh, I am fantastic, Jonathan. Thanks for asking. I'm at my Denver headquarters at Folsom Skis here. Excellent. What is Folsom Skis? So Folsom Custom Skis is a custom ski manufacturer based out of here in Denver. We build everything to the end user and do it completely in-house. Wow, that was really succinct. It's it's funny it's funny you mentioned succinct because when I did the panel for the summit last year, uh, I remember you told me to get a little more succinct with <laughs> one of my answers and I kind of had to think about that word like, hmm. I think I know what that means, but <laughs> I ended up going home and looking it up to make sure I had it. And wow. uh, you know, since since then, I've done a better job at tightening it up, per se. 
why I guess I'm so impressed is when still 12 years in at Blister, when people are like, oh, Blister, like, what's that? I will often, if there's someone with me, I will just point to them and have them explain it. I, I still somehow don't have like the, you know, the nice succinct description. So, I'm still working on it. Maybe maybe by year 15. Uh, well, yeah, and that's that's where we're at already is year 15 here at Folsom Skis. But um, to lean into that point for a moment, sometimes it's it's really nice to actually hear somebody else describe it because then you can think critically about that and say, okay, like, are they understanding it the way that I want them to? Mm-hmm. And it can help you with your messaging a bit as well. Hmm. I like it. All right. Lessons learned all around. You learned the word succinct. I'm learning how to talk about <laughs> this company. It's great. Yeah. By the way, you're also a new dad. Yeah. How you doing? You hanging in there? You good? What's up? I am. I am. It's, uh, it's, it's been just such a fun journey. Um, I try not to sound like that cliche parent too much. That's like, Oh, it's the best thing in the world. And you know, the most important thing to me now, but that's absolutely the case. Uh, we're almost at a year with him. His Mm. name is Weston. Uh, he turns one October 15th and Mm. it's, just been a ride such a fun experience to see him just developing so quickly he's walking and and you know putting a couple words together not necessarily talking yet but can uh, say a couple things like that and you know we have we've just been super fortunate with him being a a really you know i'm gonna knock on wood i know you don't like that but uh we have been super lucky with just his sleep schedule his eating schedule Mm. just everything about him has been pretty easy and um, we recognize how lucky we are in that regard. So, yeah, it's it's good. It certainly caused some complications with running my business and just trying to keep up with all that. And, you know, I thought sleep deprivation was tough on me before, but now I'm just experiencing a whole new uh, kind of set of problems and, and sleep issues. And it's like when you can get some, get some, and I'm not great at that. So, hmm. uh, other than that, it's been good, man. It's been really good. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of, when you started with the whole, it's been a one, wonderful, the best thing, I care about him so much. Then you go to the sleep deprivation and I'm like, I have my own struggles with that. I feel like I, if I had a little child, I might just like let them wander out of the house one day and maybe hope they don't come back. So, this is why I don't have children, right? It's probably yeah. not great. That wouldn't be great. It's, I mean, it's, it is unique. I mean, you, you figure out ways to solve it. And honestly, it, it kind of helps you in your own life, like really identify what's causing your sleep problems because it keeps bringing things to a bottleneck of where you just have increasingly less time. And when you need to sleep, you need to sleep. And it's just, you know, you, you really become hyper aware of how much that can affect your cognitive function. So in a sense, you know, like I'm still going through that balance and that battle. And at the end of the day, you know, we're here rescheduled again, because, you know, you've had complications on your end, I had complications on my end, and mine was sleep driven from having a sick kid that kept me up two days straight, two nights straight. So, you know, it's, you got to be flexible and willing to kind of sleep when you can. Sleep when you can. (laughs) But but other than that, it's, it's been a hoot, man. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to for you to maybe meet him, I'll, I'll mm. maybe be bringing him up to the uh, the summit this season. Oh, cool! That we can uh, have a little guest experience or uh, uh, guest spot with Weston for a day or two. It was funny. I was talking to our reviewer Paul Forward late last night, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Paul 
has a young son and he was like, we need to have a blister kids summit. <laughs> and he's like, not in the winter. Like he wanted to do it. Like, I don't know in the summer or something, but just cause we have so many young children among our blister staff now. And so right. I don't know, maybe we just introduce maybe we just open this up to everybody and we just have the blister kids summit and it just will be chaos and uh, a bunch of, I don't know, three-year-olds or younger running around um, <laughs> trying to kill each other. But uh, yeah, this yeah. was proposed last night. And so I mean, maybe there's something here. Well, and I know, I know Kristen has brought it up as well. Um, you know, maybe in the least we come up with a daycare component. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. You know, to, to make it a little easier for all the young parents that want to come and maybe that's, you know, their excuse not to. Mm-hmm. Hey, no more excuses. Get here. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll wear your kid out and give them back to you nice and tired at the end of the day. Okay. I like that we turned this into a conversation about daycare at the upcoming Blister Summit. So, that's good. <laughs> that's exactly where I thought we were headed today. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Kristen, there's been complications. I mean, given the last couple years what uh, the entire world has been dealing with. So, uh, I do think it's safe to say that Kristen will be working once again to figure out options on that front uh, for the upcoming summit. So, very cool. Anyway, well, I look forward to meeting your offspring. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... uh... It's fun, man. It's uh, he's he's a little animal right now, and I look forward to that as well. Well, hey, we have a lot of things to cover. Turns out, a lot has been going on at Folsom, so let's get into it. I think from the kind of top level, in your view, what would be the kind of most important thing for people who are familiar with Folsom, right? And they do know uh, a bit about what you've been up to. Uh, what should they know? Yeah, for sure. So, as per any good small business, we have done a lot in a little period of time here, and we are constantly, you know, working to improve really every attribute of this business from the product side to, you know, the actual messaging, the custom fits, really everything that's involved to to getting these skis underneath people's feet. And one of the biggest things that we did, not for this season, but for last season, was we actually consolidated the majority of our shapes into four big families just to really make that a little more clear on the design ideas and philosophies that we put into each family. So, uh, the real reasoning behind this is, you know, this, this business, uh, you know, I've been involved in Folsom skis for 15 years now and a bunch of shapes just kind of kept getting named and would arrive into our, our offering. And so they would just have similar design attributes and philosophies however just a totally different name so what we've done now is we've really pulled all those together and really come up with a succinct way of putting this all together for four shape families which include our spar family our completo family our cash family and then our primary family well said pretty succinct once again let's (laughs) let's kind of just Maybe I'll ask for another succinct description, but you don't have to be succinct. Break those mm-hmm. families down then. So, like, let's just start with the Spar family. If somebody's listening to this, like, I don't know what that is. What what kinds of skis are in the Spar family? Sure. So, the Spar family is really driven towards more front side skis with all mountain capabilities. Being front side is really where 
they are are more geared towards but can still go traverse the rest of the mountain when you need them to um and really we just have three big hitters there our spar 78 which is you know the narrowest offering we have more of that specialty ski we get a lot of psia guys on that our spar 88 which has been you know by far our most successful ski historically really ever for Folsom skis that just does everything very well and lo and behold it's a very fun front side carver um and then something with a little bit more narrow focus would be our spar turbo which is 94 underfoot and just has this kind of hypercharged turn radius that makes frontside skiing unbelievably fun. You get some mellow uh, kind of mixed up stuff. That ski is really, really fun for high angle, uh, you know, gripping and ripping in that category as well. Hey, I want to just ask you, SPAR 88 versus SPAR 78. Last year at the Blister Summit, I did not get on the spar 78 because frankly we had so much freaking snow i was skiing a lot of pretty fat skis thanks be to god and that was wonderful wouldn't mind a repeat but i am very curious because i do know the spar 88 very very well i want to hear your description of this and then if i disagree with you later i will absolutely let people know that i disagreed with your description here so no pressure Somebody who is going to go ski the 78 for a few runs, then get on the SPAR 88. Do you think that their experience would basically be, wow, these skis almost feel interchangeable? Or do you think they would come back and notice a pretty pronounced performance difference between the 88 and the 78? So good question. I actually appreciate you asking it in that way. Um, from a design perspective, essentially what I did to the 78 versus the 88 was we took the 88 because it entered the market earlier than the 78. We took those dimensions and really just reduced them by a centimeter across the board. So on paper, it really was just kind of like, this is going to be very in line and really just be a narrower, more precise version of that. Um, but at the end of the day, just from a, a dimensions perspective, the skis feel drastically different. Um, so from how we're building them, how they're coming together and everything, it's, it's all very similar. We're using the same in, in materials, ingredients, all that, same camber profiles. And at the end of the day, it does yield a much different ski. So where that 78 really lives is something that's a little bit more East Coast driven. Um, you know, people that are skiing Western snowpack, more often, we usually nudge into the 88 just because you're going to get more versatility there unless you are, you know, a PSIA level guy that needs a teaching ski or something along those those fronts. And you can make those, you know, teaching motions a little bit more easily on that, that tighter, smaller ski. But yeah, it is wild just to take a centimeter directly off the ski, keep everything else in the same, you know, exact design perspective it, it really yields a much different product um and so that 78 for me personally i haven't spent a ton of time on it sure i did in development but i'm big and also don't love when i can't get a little lazy on a ski and something that narrow with that much side cut to it doesn't allow any kind of laziness <laughs> so with my six foot two 220 pound frame behind it i just prefer the 88 most of the time um, but we sell a ton of those 78s for East Coast daily drivers. And again, you know, a lot of teaching skis and people that really just need a very specialized product. 
Well, I definitely hope we have a shit ton of snow at the upcoming summit. Actually, let's just, I just need to get on that 78 like early season. Let me put it that way. This does not need to be an either or because I'm going to continue to pray for a lot of snow at, at our next summit like last year. But uh, that'd be fun to get on and um, check it out. I mean, we're obviously, we're massive fans of that SPAR 88. And by the way, when you were talking, I mean, it's like every single brand, every single brand, when they're marketing like a sub 90 millimeter wide ski, they're like rips on the groomers, great all mountain. And then we're just like, no, it's not. It's like <laughs> right. pick one. And right. that's why we've been such fans of the Spar 88 is that, um, I mean, we've told this story a lot, you know, over the years, but that one hits a balance point where... Yeah, I mean, it just still is currently the 80 something millimeter wide ski that I actually would go take anywhere on Crested Buttes Mountain. And I don't really currently have a second ski that I would say that about. That's yeah, it's impressive. And that was the design goal. You know, we needed that solution. And I felt like there was a pretty big hole in the market. So uh, probably one of the many reasons why we've had such success with that 88. It's it checks a lot of boxes, man. <laughs> what class are we going to next? So really the next three families are very similar, but just have high level different purposes. So really our completo, cash, and primary family are all all mountain skis that pivot into having some soft mountain focus as the the series grows. So really the the most you know, succinct way that that word's going to get really uh, <laughs> overused in this podcast. But the most succinct way drinking game to describe those, right? <laughs> yeah, drinking. there you go. Put one back, guys. Um, <laughs> so the completo is got taper on both ends. So it's got you know those elongated taper in the tip and tail. Traditional side cut through the center of the ski, which just lends itself to being a more user-friendly, easier ski to navigate through more stuff. So we kind of bucket that one is, you know, more of our beginner, intermediate, a ton of advanced skiers use that as well, but that's really just got a softer connection to the snow. And then on the other end of that, we've got our primary family, which is just traditional side cut. So something that's got no real, you know, elongated taper in the tips and tails to kind of loosen up that feel of that ski, which just yields a more traditionally sound ski that uh, requires a little more input. And you're going to get a little more output uh, from that ski. And then right in the middle is our cache. Uh, so that cache line has that taper in the tip and then consistent side cut running all the way through the tail which kind of gives you the best of both worlds where you're having, you know, sort of those whiskers out in front of you for the start of that turn and then a really sturdy, you know, finish of the turn. And so each one of those families has a couple of different widths earmarked on it. So we've got, you know, a completo that goes 100, 105, 113. We've got a cash, which we'll hit on here shortly, has got a narrower new offering for this season, which is our cash 93, our cash 106, and then our cash 117. So then the primary series goes 95, 104, and 110. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the biggest consolidation of that. And it has created, you know, having these four families, it has created a little bit confusion. But at the end of the day, you know, we did this and are going to stick with this for many years to come because it will ultimately make more sense and be more relatable to our clients that are either existing or new. 
easier to kind of just point them and say, here's what this is for. You know, you had this ski that used to be called this. Well, hey, it's actually called this now. Same ski, different naming system. Mm -hmm. So trying not to confuse things. How is that going? Like, because actually on paper, I do think this sounds pretty coherent. And I wonder if you would accept this or you don't like what I'm about to say. But if I'm like, hey, I've maybe been reading some Folsom reviews on Blister or have some friends on Folsom's. I want to check this out. I'm looking for new skis. I don't totally know what I want. I don't know if I want the easiest shape out there, but I'm not maybe skiing 60, 80, 100 days a year. So I'm a little worried that I might end up on a ski that's too much. Is that when you're like, cool, check out the cash family? Is that how you actually talk about these things? Because I'm pretty sure you probably do have customers coming in saying something very similar to what I just asked you. Yep. Is that how you would you'd be like, hi, given what you just said, let me introduce you to our cash family? Or does it get more complicated to that? Is there a more important question that you a question or two that you want to ask before you jump to that cash family? So Really, the, the, the thing that's going to be the big differentiator here is, are you a new client to Folsom or are you somebody that has a lot of history with us? Yeah. And that conversation is very different, yeah. you know, as you can imagine across either of those. So when somebody's coming to us for the very first time and, you know, really just looking at our website, looking at our different marketing messaging, reading your reviews, all that good stuff, the family thing is is that much more understandable because it's just like, okay, boom, like here is the highest level description of what each of those is for where it gets complicated. And, you know, I don't have a, I have a, a answer that's about as, you know, clear as mud here for you. But when we have somebody coming back and they've had a ton of experience on our skis, uh, whether it be, you know, in a primary cash or a completo or spar or something in our reserve category, you'll find that everybody's got little different nuances and what their ski has done for them and what levers we've pulled on that particular ski to create it in the way that we want. So that's where custom is always really tricky is I can take a completo and make it super hard and advanced and something that a very, very accomplished advanced skier is going to love. And we've done that a bunch. So that's going against what we define it as. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of skis like that on the market, a lot of skis like that, not from, from us that are out in the field. Um, so it has certainly helped us as we're growing to really kind of look internally and say, okay, like, are we giving our clients, you know, the best understanding and the best, um, you know, information behind each of these products to really get the foundation of it? Yes. And then we'll peel that onion back and get a little deeper and get a little deeper. So, you know, what we found is we, we rarely have somebody just buy a pair of skis from us and disappear. They come back. And that's as our CRM keeps getting stronger and all that good stuff. Um, you know, we can continue to hone in on these gear profiles and augment those things in a more clear way. So that was a very unclear, clear answer. No, I think it makes sense, actually. Okay, so we've talked about the Spar family, the Completo family, the Cash family, and the Primary family. Let's talk about the Reserve family. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
we had some outliers, as you can imagine, being a custom manufacturer, we do all kinds of different shapes and, you know, fun stuff because we can. And we had a couple that just didn't really batch into any of those families in a clear way. So we created the reserve line, which is just some more unique offerings. So uh, the easiest one there that's very unique to mention is our turn tech, which is a 201 centimeter straight ski. So that didn't really fall comfortably into any of those other families. Um, and then we had our trophy, which is very similar to the Completo, but had its own nuances with, you know, more symmetrical design and stuff like that. So we kept that name as well. Um, as well as our, our, our rad dad and our rapture, uh, which are just two kind of outliers. Uh, that live there as well. So the reserve line is kind of growing. And what we're trying to do is not make that too cloudy, not put too much stuff in there. Um, and honestly, just really keep our other families at three to four offerings within those just to really, again, kind of keep this as just a more clear offering. Um, one fun thing to note here is the Rapture really could have fallen into our primary 120 or 122 range. But every single one of us was so attached to that name <laughs> that we couldn't get rid of it. So we kept the rapture. <laughs> That's funny. You're breaking your own rules of organization out of affinities to old names. Well done. Every management professional will give you like an F on that, but I'm not going to give you an F on that. Screw them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole product rollout was like, you know, centered around uh, the Mayan camp calendar ending on 12, 12, 12. So there's just like a lot of kind of fun history on that rapture. So we, uh, we wanted to keep that name just kind of a iconic ski yeah. coming from our line. Let's talk about the rapture. Big thing on our end. It's not a ski I've ever skied because screw Paul forward who just takes all like so many of the fun fat skis and just ship them off to Alaska because um, Paul's life needs to be better than it always is. So I have not skied this. Paul has called it his current favorite pow ski. This is coming from a lead heli guide who definitely skis more powder on big lines than 99.99% of the world. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a lucky guy. Again, I haven't skied it. Screw you, Paul. But I want to talk about a little bit on this ski because, you know, maybe someday I'll get to ski one. Um, camber profiles. So I am currently on the FolsomSkis.com website looking at the Rapture. I've got options here. I could go with directional rocker, everyday rocker, powder rocker, and shallow reverse camber. Walk me through this. Yeah, absolutely. So with the Rapture, it is worth noting that about 99% of them wind up with either the powder rocker or shallow reverse camber. Okay. Um, there are certain cases where we'll do every day or directional if somebody just really favors a much wider ski as kind of their daily driver at a resort. But from the very foundation of what the, the Rapture is, is it's a big ski. It's, you know, in the longer lengths, 148, 122, 138 with a 28 meter radius. That's a big ski. So there's not a lot of people that want to choose that as like, you know, a ski that we run around the resort, regardless of conditions every single day. That said, have we encountered that? Yes. Um, and honestly, more often than you'd think, it's usually 
young people with really strong knees and legs that can drive something like this without having that <laughs> negative feedback on it. But to go back to your original question, really, uh, you know, starting from directional rocker, directional rocker is just like everyday rocker, just with a lower tail. So you have a little bit more of a gas pedal, something that actually moves, moves through softer snow faster because you don't have that big rocker in the tail actually catching the snow behind it. Um, it's something that generally I'm skiing on most of the time for most of my skis. Uh, Wait, it's kind of like pause. No when you are out on whatever fulsome model you're out on, you are generally yourself skiing skis with a directional rocker profile? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So do, just... Due to the nature of where my skiing has gone, you know, I'm on a lot of, you know, resort days. Yep. These, you know, skiing with family, stuff like that. So I end up skiing on a ski that's just more driven towards that. And that directional rocker profile is just a really versatile platform that has a little bit more of a gas pedal on the tail. Um, and then if we wanted to pivot into the everyday rocker, it's just got a more symmetrical rocker in the tip and tail just a little bit lower so that it's got a little bit more versatility when compared to our pow rocker. And then the pow rocker is just a really more exaggerated rocker in the tip and tail. Again, more symmetric from tip and tail, just to really exaggerate those soft snow attributes, but still maintaining positive camber underfoot to maintain, you know, traditional edge grip on more mixed and harder snow. And then that shallow reverse camber, which I know you and I share, some uh, characteristics of liking that ski for everyday skis as well, or that rocker profile for everyday skis as well. Um, really, we just kind of use that one a lot more so for just soft snow skis these days. Yep. Um, just as we've noticed, you know, that one, you either love it or hate it when it comes to it, like an all mountain. Uh, Mi variable mixed conditions. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we've, you know, it's just one of those things where like, if somebody doesn't have experience on that rocker profile, and they're like, hey, I'm interested in this, but I've never tried it before. You know, we really approach that conversation carefully because we have noticed it's like 50-50, like I just said. Like some people get on it and just vibe with it right away. And other people are just like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. What is the, I'm asking for a general answer here. So what is the mount point-ish on the Rapture? So on the longer length of the rapture it's you know in the longer length kind of is like a 188 and up to yep. a 195 that one is usually around negative eight okay and then on the shorter one it's usually around negative six six yep. and a half yeah okay i like it yeah <laughs> and that does change a lot depending on the camber profile um yep. You know, I just realized basically I'm just shopping for skis right now. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I did talk to Paul last night where once again, like I'm trying to get out to Alaska, uh, hopefully this season. And, um, and I'm mad at him because I haven't skied the rapture. And apparently now I'm just yeah, going through a consultation with you on uh, what my rapture would look like. So that's interesting. Sorry, everybody, or you're welcome. I don't know. You're in good hands. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm thinking for a big pow ski, not a resort ski. I, I actually am liking the sound of this in a minus eight, minus eight mount yeah. point. Just something yeah. for wide open I mean, spaces. It's at any given time when Alaska's really going, you know, in April, um, 
we have a lot of raptures up there. It's like the dream ski for that. 95% of my clientele that go do those trips frequently wind up on that ski up there. And it's, you know, again, depending on the person, how we're doing it, you know, not a lot of us are uh, really needing a more central mounted ski. For AK, you want to have a little longer tip, so that negative eight is pretty uh, pretty sweet spot on that. Where do you want to go next? So, I think considering we're talking POW skis, um, I think we can kind of have a smooth transition into some new shapes that we're offering and something we have actually been working with Paul uh, on, which we have coined our G-Wagon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell us about the G-Wagon. So... Um, just a quick little history on this one is it, it really is, uh, very much so just a Powski that should not really be skied at resort. Uh, dimensionally it is currently all we offer it in is a 188 to a 195. This is not on my website yet. It will be soon, but so it's long and it's wide. It's got a 160 tip, 135 underfoot and 140 in the tail. So it's just a very, very dedicated wide ski. And what we really wanted to achieve with this was just a hole in the market. There used to be a lot of skis that were available in this this width and this dimension range. But at the end of the day, there's not many companies left doing this. And we found a big sector of people that had a demand for this, um, including one individual. His name actually happens to be Griff. And that's where the name came from. Hmm. The G-Wagon was he's kind of poked me and was like, hey, you know, I really like this uh, uh, K2 pontoon and this other ski that I had and a couple other big giant pal skis that he had mentioned. But, you know, none of them really checked this box of just being a sturdier, stronger ski as he is a six foot four, 230 pound guy. And uh, so I started developing this with him uh, really at the very beginning of last season for a whole bunch of heli trips that he had uh, lined up. And so as I was communicating with him and going through the whole design suite to truly do like a one-off custom, I never really intended to bring this to market. Um, you know, I threw a couple little pictures up on my, my Instagram or whatever social media platform I was using. And I actually had Paul forward hit me and he was like, Whoa, somebody's building a wide ski. Like, what's this all about? And I was like, Oh, I guess I didn't really think about it like that. Like I was just building this for, you know, um, this client that had the demand. And then like, after Paul, there was a couple other people that hit me up and then a couple more and everybody started to have this like, oh, wow, Folsom's making, you know, this really wide ski. We're really, really intrigued about it. Um, so along the line, again, to go back to the name, we just, uh, I just came up with that because I had to give it some kind of name while I was chatting with Griff. And, uh, you know, it just seemed appropriate that G-Wagon kind of fit right in there with his name and then kind of that like military clad luxury vehicle that can plow through anything hmm. and then above that we uh we realized that their that g-wagon name is not actually trademarked so i think we're gonna run with that name unless some other great ideas get proposed i us. have a proposal for an alternative name Love it. Love uh it. if we don't go with g-wagon how about we call it the screw you paul forward that's or you could just call it the paul reverse Okay. <laughs> that G-Wagon's probably better. The Paul Reverse. No, I'd want it I'd want it I'd want it to be actually called like the 
screw you, Paul Forward. And I'm using my rated G language on this. Well, we could put an acronym behind it as well. Oh, there you go. Acronyms. Okay. Because then I just like the idea that since I'll probably never ski this ski and Paul will probably ski a, a ton, that at least when he's clicked into it, like he's seeing like, yeah, F you, Paul, your friend, Jonathan. <laughs> so. Hey. Hey, I like it. G wagon, you know, like I said, it's G wagon is a really solid. G wagon is a really solid name, though. I think you're, I think you're onto something there. So yeah, it all came together when we kind of brought this thing together, and just, just worth mentioning. Paul does have a pair of these, mm-hmm. and um, he's got out on them a little bit last season. It yeah. sounds like him and I need to have a little bit more conversation behind them and yep. just improve upon them a little bit. But we have built a lot of these. And specifically for a fair amount of clients that, again, really just are lucky enough to do a lot of heli and cat days. And like I said, there's really nothing else like this on the market. And we're currently having clients come to us that are like, oh, wow, like I bought 10 of these, you know, what was that focal really wide ski that they discontinued a number of years back? Kuro, I think yeah, the it was Kuro. called. The Kuro. So I actually just had a client show up that was like, hey, like I literally have 10 of these Kuros when they said they were discontinuing this. I bought as many as I could. And then now I figured out there's another solution on the market. So, um, we are finding that this ski has been just super, super, uh, effective in, in these conditions. You know, that said, I'm not going to try to act like this ski's got versatility to it. It's a pow ski. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can take it elsewhere, but don't like take it on (laughs) pow. That's what it's for. Yeah. Don't like there's other skis. Don't like, tell me what really... to do, Mike. Yeah. I'm, yeah, you take, <laughs> I'm going to go ski bike down, uh, down a downhill. Lap? Yeah. You're not the boss <laughs> of me. Let's talk about another new shape. Yeah, absolutely. So new for this season as well. And something we're going to actually be releasing probably right on top of when this, uh, this podcast is going to be coming out is our cash 93. So we just didn't have a lower, with in the cash series and we had been meaning to get to that for a number of years and this season we finally got to it uh we were able to do some prototyping down in argentina i had a couple uh internal guys down there for a number of weeks uh actually quite recently uh max and joel were down there testing out some stuff making sure that we were happy with it and uh yeah long story short it's in line with the cash series dimensions it's 131 in the tip 9300 foot 120 in the tail uh 16 meter ish radar radius for the shorter skis and a 19 meter radius for the longer ones um just really filled a gap in what we had and lo and behold it pairs extremely well with our ultra light construction type so for a very lightweight touring ski it uh creates a fantastic long approach ski as well. Well, that might bring us into a nice segue to talk about constructions, new materials, say more. Yeah. So something we started working on at the end of last season, kind of the the meat of the touring season in North America here was this ultralight construction. So we've always, you know, really lived in that container of like lighter isn't necessarily better you know, you and I have talked at length about that, you know, kind of going back to that, the right weight, not lightweight conversation. And at the end of the day, we found an additive, a graphene additive by a supplier called Mito Materials 
that really has allowed us to get right to that, what we believe is kind of the threshold of where a ski is. Very light, but still skis. It still maintains its damping qualities. It still has a robust feel to it. Um, so we're really excited to roll this out and it's available immediately across any of our shapes. Um, we've built a bunch of these already and had all of our team testing them. We had some down in you know South America this year and a whole bunch through, uh, spring of last season. And actually one of, one of my main testers and a partner in this business lives in Crested Butte and, um, was able to put this ski really through the, the, the tests up there through the paces up there because unfortunately as you well know crested butte stops running lifts pretty early and you can just go skin up that hill and get some pretty wild you know mixed hard packed snow on these touring skis to really see how they react and we were just very very happy with how this uh this uh, construction type was reacting in all kinds of different scenarios. Um, again, another thing that we want to be pretty narrow on our, our offering on this is like, look, this is an ultralight ski. It's for touring. Don't make it do more than it's, you know, supposed to. Like, don't just turn this ski into your daily resort yeah, ski right. with some alpinist, you know, bindings on there. You're going to be not stoked on that. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> don't do it. Come on. I don't want to see you in line every day on that because I might say something. <laughs> Um, what kind of weight ranges are we talking? So if we so, want to stick to that cash 93, for example, yeah, or go, so, go wherever, I mean, um, how, for sure. so how we've light? got, we've got a bunch of these built, um, in all kinds of different shapes. So really the cash 93, our spar 88 was the other one that we were doing like super, super light ones on. And then a lot of, the middle widths like that primary 95 primary 104 and then we've done a few of the really big ones like our cash 117 and stuff like that but on the lower end with those narrower skis and that cash 93 and that spar 88 we're achieving skis that are right around 1200 to 1300 grams depending on the length so light we're talking light you know these are the sort of skis that you pick up and you're like what (laughs) is this this is this enough Uh, i doubt it um and then on the bigger lengths you know we just built a giant cash 117 for an internal guy up in aspen and it was a 193 in length in the ultralight construction it just came in at like 2000 grams so you know when you get that big of a ski it's still gonna be heavier Mm -hmm. just from that concept yep but yeah, it's two to 300 grams lighter than any other offering we ever had internally with our other full carbon offers. So it's substantially lighter. Hmm. And again, this graphene additive, its I know we've talked about it, um, you know, in the past on some podcasts, I think I might have mentioned it in a panel session, but it's something that I've had my eyes on for years and years and years, but it just really wasn't commercially available in reasonable amounts for smaller manufacturers like us. Um, So that happened via a group called Mito. They have brought it to us in a way that's really easy to just introduce it right into our system. We're actually working with them to get it directly integrated into our resin system, which is sweet so that we can just kind of get this product, have it, and really have no alteration in the way that we bring it into how we're manufacturing skis. And at the end of the day, what this material does is it 
really kind of fills the voids of the composite with a more similar molecular structure to the composite itself. So if you think about like a fiberglass or carbon fiber and it's woven together, you know, you can see light through those weaves. If you hold that fabric up to the light, there's light through those weaves. And generally what's filling that void in those blank sections is just resin. Resin's not really structural, you know. Do you get some structure? Yes. But all its real point is is to glue everything together. So now what this graphene does is it is an additive that drops directly into the the resin and fills that blank space with a more usable structure. And it it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. So um we tested this stuff so thoroughly. Um really something I take a lot of pride on with this company is we don't just have like, you know, here's a new buzzword or a new material that we think is cool. Like we're not going to introduce it unless it's relevant straight up. And I'm not afraid to say that. Like we're not just going to come up with some buzzwordy crap. That's just like here, tie this to the product. This is new for 2022, 23, you know, lean into it. Like we had three years of developing this and making sure that it worked well and was worth this conversation we're having now and it sure is um so yeah we're we're really excited about uh you know just rolling this out and having something that's more in that sector because we weren't competitive there before you know when it got to those you know 12 13 1400 gram skis we were like yeah stiff arm (laughs) yes you you know like we don't want to do this and now we feel confident there so it's pretty exciting for us Hmm. by the way Thinking about your typical sort of preseason and maybe where you are now, would you typically have like most of your orders in for the year, say, let's call it by October 1st? Is it just now typically about to start really ramping up in terms of incoming orders? How, what does that look like in a given year for Folsom Custom? So we're, believe it or not, always incoming, almost always. So it's so, more like, it's not like, oh, here comes our super heavy time of the year. It, it's more, more consistent than all that. We, we do have those two. So we get a big jump right about now, right about as, you know, you get just the first nip in the air, starts snowing a little bit. So you know, late September, early uh, October is when we really see a bit of a spike um, and just demand goes up there and then it stays really consistent, spikes again right before the holidays, you know, last minute gifts, sort of things like that. So that really peaks and then it will just stay consistent all the way through March and then we get a little bump in touring stuff right there and then it stays consistent and then we launch our summer sale pricing and we have another huge spike in June stays all the way consistent, gets us kind of back to where we're at now. Um, so we, you know, as a company really have looked at that curve and dissected it as well as we can to try to levelize it and really just make our workflow a little more, you know, easy to control, but the weather and consumer habits just really are impossible to predict. (laughs) So, you know, we never know exactly when we're going to see these huge bumps. And it's, you know, that was kind of an involved answer to your question. But really, we have 
constant influx. So we're building all 12 months of the year. Once North American season is running, we usually have a two-week turnaround time on any new order that's landed. If you'd like to expedite that, no problem. We can do that as quick as two or three days. Um, but uh, generally, that's what North American season looks like. And then come into April, we'll you know batch together bigger groups through the summer, build those through the summer in a little bit you know easier organization from a production perspective. And then guarantee those to be delivered to clients before uh, the end of October. What else should we talk about? So, um, a couple other big things that we've done here at Folsom in the last year or two is we've been expanding in our Denver facility quite a bit and actually now have a proper showroom, which is wildly exciting. Uh, You know, this is something I mentioned earlier, but I've been, you know, running this business for a very long time. Actually, you know, Folsom's been in business for 15 years now, and we've never really had a proper showroom tied to our manufacturing facility. And so now we do. Um, And, you know, we built it out, tricked it out with some soft goods, and now actually have a full retail offering within that showroom as well. So we are just building what we called our signature series skis, which are available to purchase immediately. And um, really, it's just, you know, a few of the heavy hitters that we know people are going to want, i.e. that Spar 88. We did a bunch of those. We did some uh, Spar Turbos, some Completos, kind of a sampling from each of the families just to have that offering for when somebody walks through the door and really needs a ski immediately. So that's a pretty exciting thing for us as well. Yeah. And then what's going on with Aspen? Aspen, we are carrying on uh, again for this season. This will now be the third or fourth season that we're running it. Um, But it will be open for business as per usual, usually right around Thanksgiving, late November is when we launch it. Um, And it's just going to be kind of uh, the the same system that we've had running over the last few years. So we take over the front end of uh, the bike shop right across the street from the Aspen Art Museum called the Hub of Aspen. And, um, we have our custom fit center there. So Max Tabor runs that whole show up there and can do a full custom fit there as well as another extension of our signature series line. So that's just another arm of our retail line living in the Aspen facility, soft goods, merch, all that good stuff as well up there. And then we'll run that, um, all the way through mid to late April, kind of snow dependent as well. Um, but yeah, we're we're really excited to just keep this going. Another fun thing that I don't know if I've ever mentioned that we did up in Aspen is we actually have a huge like 60-inch TV set up in uh, the Aspen facility, which just has a whole bunch of live cams connected to our manufacturing facility in Denver. So when somebody walks in there, you know, that is just giving a clear broadcast of what's going down in Denver, which is just a kind of a cool way to tie the two places together. Yeah, I was in the Aspen shop Uh, This past spring and uh, got to see on that big TV, the Denver facility. I believe you were waving at me at one point, (laughs) if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we don't, we like don't have the audio running because it would just be a bunch of like uh, terrible sounding machines. (laughs) Industrial. Back and forth. Yeah. So um, usually we'll get like a little banter on our G-chat channels and be like, hey, wave with camera. We got, you know, uh, Jonathan here or a client or whatever. So we'll stand in front of it and awkwardly say, hey, I hope they're waving back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 
Denver. We got the showroom. We just talked about Aspen. What else is going on kind of operationally? So just as we're growing here in the Denver headquarters, we've really put a notable expansion within the manufacturing part of our shop. Uh, We've gained about 2,000 square feet in that end and are just adding in more equipment and people really just to, to be able to keep up with the demand we're seeing. So it's exciting. We, we, we just bought a new CNC machine. We have a CNC that's literally 15 years old and running on XP. If uh, some of you tech nerds know out there how outdated that system is, uh, it's amazing that it's still functioning. But we're just able to, to you know have the breathing room and space to really start uh, building some stronger infrastructure to, to handle the bigger uh, uh, demand that we're seeing. And it's it's exciting. It allowed us to get a showroom and some some fancy new shiny equipment that, you know, can hopefully last us for the next 15 years to come. I know you also wanted to talk Blister Labs a little bit. The floor is yours. Yeah, I did. Um, so, personally, the Blister Labs has just been something that I've really been geeking out on uh, really since you announced the project. And you know, I got to meet uh, really all, all the big players in that at last year's summit. Um, you know, I actually had a really great conversation with Sean at the panel last year uh, and have just been super intrigued with what you guys are pulling off there. Um, I'm really, really excited to see where this goes and, you know, naturally want to insert Folsom skis into this to see how we can help. And, you know, obviously learn from this as well. So uh, I kind of wanted to just throw it out there. If uh, you guys are getting to that point where you want to start actually molding in some sensors and different fixtures into the skis, you know who to talk to. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, man, this whole labs thing is, I mean, my ambitions for it were never small, but it's going bigger faster than I think even I imagined. First, we need to get you out to Gunnison and um, check out the facility. You know, you can get the kind of refresh with the things like where we are currently with different projects. And we're working on stuff that we have not even announced yet, um, just for the record. It is all like expanding and speeding up kind of at the same time. And so, yeah, I think it's been really fun too to... There's been so much global interest from the ski industry, from the bike industry, from the apparel industries, and it's been really cool. We talked in, I'm sure you listened to that one conversation uh, with Tumas Loxo from DPS, where I was talking a lot about Tor Verdonk and, you know, some, let's call it healthy skepticism or just questions about how we're proceeding. And we're fine with that, right? Like, let's have the debates, Right. But there have just been so many people that are like, this is significant. We want to learn more about how it might help our own companies, but also if there are things that we can do to contribute to this. It's just been really cool. So I appreciate you saying, you know, if Sean, you know, wants to start looking at different ways to get sensors on skis, that's a conversation we can definitely have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, just again, trying to uh, be involved in this at the ground level. It's been such a cool thing to see come together. And I, you know, you, you just hit on it. Like, it seems like it's moving so much faster than I anticipated it to just, it, it seems like a really important piece to ski manufacturing in a lot of different levels, which, you know, 
try not to get too deep there because it could really, this could be a whole nother conversation, but I appreciate it, man. You, you guys keep this up. It's, uh, it's going to be so awesome to actually have, you know, this information out there across every other type of, uh, ski and and bike and, and everything manufactured. It's wild that nobody's ever really done this before. So good for you guys for getting this going. Thanks, man. It's just cool. I mean, part and part of the reason if someone's listening, it's like, well, why get them out there? And part of it is we want to hear too from a number of manufacturers about, um, hey, if you guys could create this test, this is something that would we think would be really meaningful for our operation, or this is something where we feel like we're already dialed on this, and y'all don't need to go reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? I think I don't want to operate in a vacuum on this. I think the more we learn uh, and hear from actual manufacturers with the questions they have or the test they wish was better, you know, and just hearing where they think, you know, we have outstanding information from some of the tests we already have, if, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, what, what you guys are doing there is it's, if people aren't paying attention to this specifically, you know, the brands and the manufacturers, if they're not paying attention to this, they should be, uh, cause ultimately it's going to help all of us have a better language, a better definition set, a better way of moving through this, a better way of putting this out into the market and making sure that the consumer has got the right stuff. Hmm. Which is what we're all like <laughs> that just I love that it goes back to the very original mission statement of blister, which is still on our website, right? And um, that's good for manufacturers. That's good for the buying public. And it's like, let's just get better consumer product information out there. And if we can help, let's just get better products out there too. And um, so, yeah, this is one of those times where um, it does feel like consumers, reviewers, manufacturers, everybody should end up winning on this, you know, if uh, if we keep progressing things the way that, uh, well, that we currently are. So, yeah. I also wanted to ask about this junior trade-in program you have going. I don't know if I missed this or if this is a pretty new development, but say more about this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you definitely didn't miss this because we haven't really done any marketing behind it yet. Um, it's something that, you know, as I started to have a kid and, you know, hopefully a, another one soon enough, I really needed to start figuring out kid skis and have been chatting with a bunch of you know, young parents that are dealing with the different trade-in programs through these big box companies and, you know, where they essentially just pay in, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the season for the kid and they get skis, boots, and bindings. And those products are extremely old and beat down and oftentimes not appropriate for these, these kids. So the idea came to me that like, why don't we offer a premium ski with a binding on it for these kids as they're kind of transitioning away from just very beginner starting skis. So really the age range that we're shooting for here, depending on the size of the kid is really around age seven for enrollment to as they transition into adult skis. So, you know, 
12, 13, 14, 15 years old, depending again on the size of the kid. So what we've done is we've built a whole bunch of skis in the length range of a 122 all the way up to a 154. And what we offer is a full, you know, season rental essentially. So um, it's just a $200 enrollment fee annually, and you can get these skis booked out for you for the season. They're all Hayden's premium built, you know, full wood core, actual rocker, hmm. camber profiles, actually bend. And <laughs> actually um, bend. You know, Wait, you should well, it's, you should say more about <laughs> that because when right. someone's like, oh, the ski actually bends. Um, well, yeah, it's it's wild, you know, and again, like I'm a new parent, so I really started looking at this stuff and I was like, holy cow, like most kid skis are really terrible. <laughs> for lack of better terms, you know, they're, they're really short and just made out of, you know, whatever cheap materials that that manufacturer can source. And when you're making an extremely short ski like that, it's hard to maintain a flex profile. And at the end of the day, they're not putting a lot of infrastructure behind these products. So, you know, at the really, really low end for the really tiny skis and the really brand new kids, you know, that's fine. But as the kid actually needs to start to spread his wings and, and start to figure out skiing in a more robust way, like for sure they should have better skis underneath their feet. So we've really built skis that are just like our adult skis in these smaller lengths that actually have proper flex profiles, proper rocker, you know, fun graphics. They don't just look, you know, like some old you know, reprocessed adult graphic from 15 years ago or whatever. We're actually really trying to, you know, make these kids get really excited about skiing so that, you know, the next generation can be just as excited as we are about this sport. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the way this works is you just, you get that ski for the season. If you need to change out length across the season, say for example, your kid grows, you know, half a foot in a, you know, a couple of months, which happens you can come switch them out. Uh, you know, size up on them, all that good stuff. And overwhelmingly, we, we, we launched this last season just internally. We didn't do any marketing behind it. We just had a sample set of kids and parents that we knew. And every single one of them came through here with like, holy cow, it made such a difference in my kids skiing. So we're growing the program year over year. Uh, currently, we have about 40 skis available, about you know, 50% of that is uh, already accounted for. One important thing to note here is we really only want to focus on local families. So I'm sorry for people that don't live here in Got Denver it. or Aspen. It adds a major complication and cost to the program for us to be shipping these across the nation. Yep. However, that will be something that we will consider in years to come. Huh. Okay. So a more local program for the, say, greater Denver area? Okay. And Aspen. So we, we, we run that in conjunction with Aspen as well. Okay. For the Aspen community and greater Denver community, that's who should be probably actually running uh, to check this out. Um, talk about the costs again. Yeah. So it's it's just a flat annual $200. $200? That. Yeah. So- you know, that's actually a funny thing that you brought that up and why you seem shocked by it um, is one of the main input pieces that we got back from all of our parents last year was like, make it more expensive because it's an insignificant amount of money for most people, you know, but at the end of the day, we want this to be easy and kind of the no brainer solution for these parents. There's enough 
you know, forgive my French, but there's enough bullshit in this world that you got to be worried about, like getting the right skis on your kid's feet. Just like make it easy, make it cheap. Also, it's a closed loop manufacturing cycle. So this concept is going to grow over years and kids don't wreck skis nearly as fast as, you know, us heavy guys that are ripping around on rocks all the live long day. Um, so we're going to get many, many seasons out gotcha. of these skis. And so, you know, from gotcha. uh, a business perspective, we can justify that. And, you know, right off the bat, it's not going to be like, oh, hey, we're making all this money and that's not really the goal. So we just want to have this set up, create this cool community, kind of build that amount that we're comfortable with. And we'll probably grow it to about a hundred pairs in the next two years. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it's fun. Nobody else has really done it outside of, you know, these these big companies, you know, like uh, Epic Mountain Sports and, uh, you know, Christie's here locally. They have these kid programs. And it's just like I said, it's just this really beat down stuff that's been running through their their stores for 15 years. And, you know, there's such a huge demand for it that by the time the parents and kids get there, you know, who knows what they're going to wind up on. So for us, we're just going to do less and do better, which is kind of the foundation of what Folsom does. <laughs> well, hey, man, I need to let you get back to it. Parting thoughts, final things we should know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, anybody out there is interested in some Folsom skis, check us out at FolsomSkis.com. If you are a Blister Gear Review member, you get 15% off on all of the customs, which is a pretty notable uh, discount. So if you're listening to this and not a member, quit being a dummy and go sign up for that because there's a whole bunch more than just getting a discount from us that is uh, built into that. So yeah, check us out, FolsomSkis.com. Feel free to call us anytime. Phone number's right on there. Uh, sign up for our email lists and uh, yeah, can't wait to build more skis. Hmm. Man, you got a lot going on and uh, it's great to catch up and just kind of hear the scope of it, including the, I think the junior trade-in program is super cool. And, um, among other things, so pretty good. And, uh, I'm glad you're managing to keep a young human being alive and growing Folsom and adding to the offerings and the programs and the rest. And, um, yeah, pretty good. Normally I would yeah. like come on to try to give you shit about something, but I'm mostly just kind of impressed right <laughs> now. So I'll, maybe the next conversation I'll have more to make fun of you about. Uh, well, let's, let's hope not, but no, I appreciate it, man. It's, uh, you know, it, it's easy to lose sight of all the different things you got going on. And, you know, this is, this is, I think the fourth podcast that we've done hmm. kind of, you know, a fulsome centric focus. It might even be the fifth, uh, anyway, but these things are sort of therapeutic to me to kind of just boil down everything to what's going on and put it out there. Cause oftentimes even from a marketing perspective or operations perspective or whatever I'm looking at that day, you know, it's easy to forget things and how cool a certain program may be. And I'm excited to hear that you're excited about the junior trade-in program because it's something I'm really stoked on. It's easy to kind of like just get that off and running and then just move on to the next thing. But you know, enough about me. Same can be said about you. I always, like to get the last word and if you remember that about me and uh i always like to uh really congratulate you as well i feel like you don't hear it enough um what you're doing is super important for this industry among others in the outdoor space keep it up man i know you have more balls in the air than most and it seems like you're catching them all so 
you know, it's, it's always good to, to work with somebody who's truly a laser and I can say you are. So keep it up, man. Hey, appreciate it. I'll let you get back to it. Um, say hi to the team at Folsom and, um, we'll see you maybe at Western for a blister labs thing prior to the summit. We'll have to talk about that. We'll definitely see you at the blister summit in February. And, um, yeah, look, uh, look forward to, uh, yeah, seeing you in person, um, hopefully sooner than later. Likewise. Well, and we'll be, uh, we'll be looking to have that, uh, little celebrity drop in with uh, little Weston Jack. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have a new freshly one-year-old to present to you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, man, you take care. Yeah, you too, Jonathan. Okay, well, it is now time for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. This week, I want to talk about two things. First, it is the opposite of a celebration, but I do want to raise a glass to Hillary Nelson. As many of you know, we lost an absolute icon of the sport. Hillary was an exemplar to so many people. She was a beloved mentor and friend and mother and partner. And for these past few days this week, to be honest, I have mostly wanted to let those who know Hillary best talk about what she has meant to them. Cody Townsend and I will be recording a Reviewing the News episode this weekend. That should be up Monday. I know that Cody will have some more to say about what Hillary has meant to him and to our community, but this is a hard, hard loss for our community and to Hillary's family. And let's all raise a glass uh, because she paved the way for many, many people and inspired many, many more. So here's to Hillary. Now, the other thing, I am about to record a late night podcast with our Blister reviewer, Paul Forward. That is actually going to be going up on our Crafted podcast this coming Wednesday. Paul and I actually just had a late night conversation last night. And man, every time I talk to him, I'm just one lucky to call him my friend. I am lucky to get to work with Paul, but this guy is just thinking on a real high level. And I always love our conversations when they are off the record and when they are on the record. And uh, it was another real good one last night. And we are working on some things. Paul is working on some things that, man, if we can bring some of this around and make it happen, it's going to really make an impact, I think. And so I also want to raise a glass to Paul. And when I start this conversation with him in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to be cracking open a new image fanny pack because I feel like I've earned one this week. That's what I'm going to be doing. So I would encourage you to raise a glass to Hillary and raise a glass to all the people in your life who inspire you and who you feel fortunate to know. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Mike for the great conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from the entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again this coming Monday when Cody and I will once again be reviewing the news over on our Blister podcast. Take care, everybody.